Welcome to Mission Gathering Charlotte. This community is for you. If you grew up in the church and have lost your faith, if you are in a moment of deconstruction or reconstruction, if scandals, politics, and hate have led you into doubt, if the stories of this faith raise doubts and curiosity in you, our time together is not about trying to fix you. You are not broken. Our journey in this life is not about erasing doubt but embracing them. For it is only on the darkest night we can see the stars. Life's journey is hard enough so we don't think you should have to make this journey alone. So if you are Asian, Latinx, Black or White, Indigenous, if you are male or female, trans or non-binary, if you are three days old, 30 years old or 103 years old, if you've never stepped foot in a church, or if you are Buddhist, Roman Catholic, agnostic or are a lifelong evangelical, if you are single, married, divorced, separated or partnered, if you are straight, gay, lesbian, asexual or bisexual, if you are a Republican, Democrat, independent, socialist or not registered to vote, if you have or had addictions, phobias, abortions or a criminal record, if you own your home, rent, live with your parents or are homeless, if you are fully abled, disabled or a person of differing abilities, you are welcome to join us on this journey to share our sacred meal at the Table of Grace, Happy Sunday, and welcome one and all. No conditions, you are loved. We cannot say no. You completely belong. No, we cannot say it enough. You are safe to be who you are. No, we cannot say it enough So come to the table There is a place for you Come to the table Come to the table Just as you are No exceptions welcome we cannot say it enough You're not on this road alone No, we cannot say it enough Nothing to prove you can let down your guard We cannot say it enough So come to the table There is a place for you Come to the table to the table just as you are come to the table there is a place for you come to the table there is a place for you come to the table just as you are just as you just as you are There's no fear No fear in love There's no fear No fear in love You 
are safe to be who you are Nothing to prove you can let down your guard And come to the table, there is a place for you Come to the table Come to the table just as you are And come to the table There is a place for you Come to the table There is a place for you Come to the table Just as you are 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 One Sabbath when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. When Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invites both of you will come and say to you, give your seat to this other person. Embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. When your hosts approach you, he will say, Friend, move up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, When you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors, if you do, then they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. Luke chapter 14, verse 1 and verses 7 through 14. Common English Bible translation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So at our time, dinner parties are a pretty casual thing. I mean, maybe you go to fancy dinner parties, but I don't. Most of the time, it's just throwing something on the grill, hanging out over a few beers with friends. But in Jesus' time, dinner parties were something extremely different. They were social, they were political, and they were directly tied to class. You would only invite somebody to a dinner party who you thought was of the same social class or caste as you, or somebody a little bit higher. And part of the reason people did this was because there was an expectation in a hospitality society that if someone threw a dinner party and invited you, that you were obligated to throw one for them and invite them as well. So there was this back and forth of, of well-off and rich people inviting each other to each other's homes for extravagant meals and banquets. And like if a poor person got invited, like let's say that that happened. They would refuse that invitation because they couldn't throw a party for the person that was throwing one and inviting them. 
Because they didn't have that kind of money. Most poor people lived hand to mouth almost every day, working for their daily bread. Another thing about this story, other than just dinner parties, is these Pharisees guys, right? Now, the Pharisees often get painted as villains through this anti-Semitic lens that Christians like to look at them. But these are Jesus's people. These are his elders. These are folks that they're not of the higher upper classes, but they're not really poor either. They're folks that spend their lives really devoted to religious teachings. They're, they're, they're these people that are trying to find a middle way between the extremists on both sides. And Jesus is wanting to educate them. Jesus is wanting to teach them some things. And they've been watching him closely. So just get out of your head that the Pharisees are ever Jesus's enemies. I know that there's some gospel passages that say that, but that's not really a fair way to look at them. Because they were people that Jesus spent a lot of time with and invested a lot of energy into. I like this passage, though, because it says they were observing him closely. But... It also shows off that Jesus was observing them closely right back because he's been invited to this dinner party, this dinner party at the home of a Pharisee. And he's, he's paying attention to them. He's looking at what they're doing and he's going to teach them from what he's been observing. The lectionary, though, cuts off a part of what makes this story flow. You see, we read verse one and then we skipped over to verse seven. And in, in the intermediate verses, there's a story about Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. In, in Luke, Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. He heals a woman on the Sabbath, and then now he's healing a man. Luke likes to have a balance of male and female to emphasize that the gospel is for everyone, right? But this man is cured of something called dropsy. And I didn't know a lot about dropsy. It's got a way more fun-sounding name than it is a disease. But dropsy is where your body it retains so much fluid that it's literally drowning your body. But while your body retains all of this fluid, you have an incredible thirst. You can't get enough water. You can't drink enough water. So earlier that day before the party, Jesus cures a man who is dying from the very thing that he's craving. And so I think that's shed some light on what Jesus Jesus's story is all about. And it's not really a parable. It's more of Jesus giving some advice. If you desire to feel important, don't run to the best seat in the house. Because if you do, you might get shamed because that seat belongs to somebody else. So the thing that you craved will end in your shame, your embarrassment, rather than you being honored. It's advice that the Pharisees would have known from Proverbs 25 verses 6 through 7 which has a similar advice about when, when to approach the king and when to approach people of high status. It's better to stay back and be invited up than it is to rush up and be ashamed. Jesus sees these Pharisees. Jesus knows that their desire is to be important, to feel loved, to be of use, to be honored. And that desire to be honored, to feel important, is the very thing that is killing them. I oftentimes wonder, I wonder what it is in our lives that we crave so much that it's killing us. Like, what is the symptom of a larger disease? And it would be really easy to point out billionaires and their industries and the things that are killing and crushing and choking this planet, right? Their death cult of more and more and more. That's the easy target. But what is it? What is it that you are craving? What is it that I am craving so much 
that might just be the thing that's crushing us. It's leaving us felt, feeling spent and diseased. And I don't know if I can answer that question for everyone, but I can answer it for myself. And I get it. You and me, were not the same. And we had different desires. You may be way more well-adjusted than I am. And if you are, congratulations. But I can answer this question for myself because one of the hardest things for me, one of the things that I crave as a pastor, as a progressive pastor of a small congregation in the middle of the South, one of the things that I crave is a larger platform. The ability to speak to more people and places and, and to have a wider reach with our message and to bring more people into this community. And I tell myself that that's, that's for the good of the world. It's to change the world. It's for the good of the people that I'm reaching. But that want, that desire, is a symptom of a bigger disease that I struggle with. And that disease is feeling unworthy of love. I grew up as an evangelical. We were told that God's love was free and freely given but that you had to earn it afterwards. They wouldn't say it like that, but they made sure you knew you had to work real hard at being loved. Maybe that's true in your life. Maybe you grew up in ways that made you feel unworthy of love, like you didn't deserve to be loved. Or maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not what you're going through at all. Maybe you want a bigger platform and it's not for those reasons. Maybe you don't want a platform. I don't know what's going on in your life, but there's something that you crave so hard that it's drowning you. I think we can all agree that we all want to feel important and we all want to feel loved. And that that desire and that want leaves us with the fear that maybe we aren't. Maybe our lives don't matter. Maybe we aren't loved. Maybe people really do hate us. So we do all these things that, that we, we do all these crazy, crazy things to try and prove that we're worthy of that love. That we're worthy of respect. That we're worthy of having a seat at the table. So we make our own tables. We set our tables for people that, that can repay us in kind. We set our tables for people who will never reject us. We do the safe things. We interact with those people who are safe to us and with us. Never pushing outside of those boundaries. Never showing acts of love for love. Because we're so afraid of rejection. But friends... The great truth and mystery of this universe is that you are loved. That you are loved no matter what you do. You can't unworthy yourself of love. You can't prove yourself worthy of love. You simply are. I think about that. That's the disease, right? But what would really change if we started to cure that disease? What would really change if we started to really believe that we are loved? Well, the first thing that I think would change if we truly saw ourselves as being loved, the first thing I think that would change would be that we would start to see others who can't repay us, who can't throw a party the next time, that, that we, we can't throw the party, the people that won't buy us a Christmas present if we buy them one. Right? I think we would see the people who are marginalized, the people who are pushed out, the people who are destitute, the people who are really struggling right now. I think that we would see them as worthy of love too. Not as something to be feared or kept away or pushed aside out of guilt, but people truly worthy of love. I 
think the second thing is that we would stop having these debates over what is fair and what isn't. Fairness is a lie. Nothing's fair. Fairness is a lie we cook up to think we have some sort of control over this world. Equity. Equity is what people who know they are loved desire for those around them. It's what says that maybe your needs need to be met right now and maybe I'll have a need in the future that I will need help meeting. But as long as we all get what we need, there is joy in that. The third thing is, I think that if we truly believed that we were loved, that we are loved, if we deep down had that feeling of contentment that we are loved, it wouldn't be about finding a seat at the table for the poor and the marginalized and the people that need to have a larger voice in this world. It would be us racing to give them our own seats at the table. I think about that a lot. Because a lot of times when we talk about helping others, right? These changes that would happen if we could really see ourselves as being loved. A lot of times when we talk about helping others, we, we otherize them. We push them to the side and we say, aren't we blessing them? And I know that the, the Bible passage, Jesus says that you will be blessed if you invite those kinds of people to your dinner parties. But what if we change the word blessed to change? Or changed, right? Because instead of, of looking at people as something that needs to be served in order to assuage our guilt... We'd be looking at our interactions of love with others as growing love in the world and changing things. All things would be changed, and maybe we'd even recognize that God is changed in this dynamic universe that is ever expanding until the day it collapses back in on itself. We could be a catalyst, a catalyst for changing us, and a catalyst for us breaking free of this disease of ego that tells us that we're not enough, that we're not loved, that we aren't perfect in the way that we're made I think then we would see a world turned upside down I think then we would find our voices our passion to do the work that needs to be done I think then we would have enough seats at the table for everyone so mission gathering friends may you come to see that you are worthy of God's love you don't have to do anything to earn it. And that your seat at the table has already been set for you by Christ. Mission Gathering and friends, may it be so. Amen. Hey everybody, Pastor Andrew here. Thank you so much for listening to or watching today's broadcast. If Mission Gathering is something that means a lot to you, I want to ask if you could give a gift today. You can donate through Cash App or Venmo. You can donate through our, our website, mgclt.com backslash give. But your gifts go to doing more of these videos, more of these podcasts, more of all of the things that you enjoy watching and listening to. And we hope that gives a little bit back to your life. But beyond that, it's helping us to grow a movement, a movement that is seeking to take care of the needs of our neighbors to change the way we interact with each other, and to live out the gospel of Jesus in a way that is new and revitalized. So if you could give $20 today, if you could give $30, or if you can't give any money, maybe you could just share 
this with your friends. Allow your friends to get the same things out of these messages that you're getting. I think if we can do that, if we can show support and mutual aid towards each other, that this world will be a better place. So for the gifts that you give and the gifts that will be given, we say thank you and we offer them to God, to the furthering of the kingdom of heaven, so that each of us may know that we are truly loved. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.